0: This is the Colonel Rat Alert. Civil defense information will be broadcast at 6.40. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Y2K, how can we prepare? Stop a few of their machines and radios, throw them into darkness for a few hours. We are fighting for our lives. My family must survive. Over five years. Thousand gallons of gas, air filtration, water filtration. Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is east-central Alberta, Canada. Streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Rumble, and Odyssey. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim. Today is November the 16th, 2023, and this is episode 398 of Workshop Radio. I wanted to open tonight with a couple of quotes I found regarding the subject that we're going to speak about tonight, the Chicago heat wave of 1995. They're kind of impactful. I hope you enjoy them. Let's dive in, guys. When you have a massive heat wave, it's not like a plane crash where you know how many people are on board and where the accident happened. It was a weird sense of horror where one body after the next would show up at the morgue because no one knew when it was going to end. Hundreds died alone behind locked doors and sealed windows that entombed them in suffocating private spaces where visitors came in frequently and their air was heavy and still. Among these victims, the bodies and belongings of roughly 170 people went unclaimed until the public administrator's office initiated an aggressive campaign to secret relatives who had not noticed that a member of their family was missing. The final one was, it's like an assembly line in there, one officer said. In many cases, police delivered bodies to the morgue several days after the date of death because no one had noticed that the person had not been seen in a while. It was impossible to know how many more victims remained in their homes. Undiscovered by Saturday, the number of bodies coming into the morgue exceeded its 222 bay holding capacity by hundreds. Incoming bodies were scattered around the office, and many of them examined corpses remained unclaimed because there was no next to kin. The owner of a local meat packing firm volunteered to bring his fleet of refrigerated trucks to the morgue for storing the excess bodies the first group of red and yellow vehicles each about 48 feet long arrived on friday but they filled up quickly and there was still bodies remaining it's something i don't ever hear talked about the the heat wave of 1995 and you guys know kind of where this disaster series goes I like to take a look at kind of regional disasters that have happened in North America over the last few years and look back, share some of the stories that came out of it so people aren't forgotten, and hopefully learn a few lessons along the way. Uh, You guys know that I've always been kind of passionate about history, and I enjoy sharing some of these historical stories with you. So anyway, we're going to dive in here in a minute. Let's get the announcements out of the way, folks. But First off, uh, Thursday evening, so our... Our sponsor of the evening is Fortress K9, My good buddy, Joel Riles of the Protection Dog Podcast. He is the guy that if you need a little motivation, he, uh, I wouldn't even call him a PG rated John Willis, but he is, uh, he's quite something. He is the type of guy that had his war, his world tore out from under him and he rebuilt better than ever. It's great. Number two, patch of the month, guys. Don't forget, we just picked up a new subscriber this week. Thank you very much. I'm a firm, firm believer in doing value for value exchange. And in that, I mean, hopefully I give you guys a metric shit ton of value, more value than I would hope to ever be repaid for. But if you're into patches, like what's on my hat here, and uh, I, I know a few people have picked up their new patches in the mail this week. Easy way to support the workshop and what I do, go to patchofthemonth.co, $10 a month or $100 a year, you get a cool, usually politically incorrect patch every single month in your mailbox. Uh, and, oh, speaking of cool merch, I don't know if you can see this or not, but uh, wearing John Willis's SOE uh, Tacticals Become Ungovernable shirt tonight. I always thank him for sending me nice shirts, and this one is uh, definitely one of my favorites. And one one thing that isn't really an announcement, but I wanted to share with you guys tonight was the fact that I finally, finally got my freeze dryer. Pretty excited about that. And I unloaded it yesterday. Got the first load of bread through it because you're supposed to do a, a test load of bread just to get the, uh, I guess the smells and things out of it. And as I'm talking to you, it's in the room behind me, and we're running our first batch of fruit through it. So we'll we'll see. It's a test. I, I'm looking forward to learning. I always love learning new skills. It's been about, took me about a year longer than I had planned to get the freeze dryer, but I'm happy to have it. And I can't wait to start putting away some long term food and uh, hopefully (laughs) make some uh, treats for the doggies. And you know something, guys, something that's really funny is every time I put one of these episodes together, you forget at the, you you kind of forget the reach that uh, workshop. The workshop has and uh so i logged in tonight and before anybody was even here about a half hour before sam from slave to servant he put a, a comment in here said i was there with his hand raised and i forget you know i forget how big of a reach there is you know we we told the story one time of the phoenix lights and i get a message hey i was there and then uh, you talk about the la riots and we got a, i got a couple of messages from people hey i was there i was on the outskirts of there and you know to me it was a uh, just a historical footnote. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just in my tiny little town of Digby, Nova Scotia, a lot of this didn't seem to impact me a whole lot, but it's kind of, it's neat. And thanks for sharing that. And uh, as Nate and Aaron said, uh, hello from Chicago, sort of. Absolutely. It's great. Yeah. And you forget how far it reaches. So I appreciate that. So let's go back tonight, guys, to the summer of 1995. (laughs) I was in the the in-between summer between eighth and ninth grade or 8th grade or grade 8 and grade 9, depending on what you call it. O.J. Simpson had just gotten off. <laughs> Toy Story was just released. A real bang in tune, Gangster's Paradise was number one on the charts. See if you guys remember this one. Hugh Grant had just gotten arrested for picking up a prostitute named Divine. Everybody was very disappointed in him at the time. <laughs> Canada almost, almost finally got rid of Quebec it was really close. If they'd only vote it just a little harder, maybe we would have. And most importantly, my under-15 baseball team went 12-0, swept the playoffs, and we got a pizza party for winning the championship. So (laughs) it was kind of funny. 14-year-old me was completely unaware of what was going on in Chicago. I I remember the LA riots when I was younger, and I remember some other things happening, but this was something I had i'd never really heard of and when i put these when i put um kind of have a, a schedule or an outline for a few months go in, in the future for a few different regional disaster episodes and this one came up when i was searching and it was something i hadn't really heard of i got a couple more that um it's crazy that you don't hear about them but uh yeah anyway this is for something like this to happen i say in modern times what are we almost 30 years ago 1995 was And for so many people to just pass away in their homes, it was kind of sad. And so, disclaimer, like always with this episode, with these episodes, it's not to glorify anything bad that happened, but it's to to retell the stories. This one was a little harder to find specific stories from specific people, but we'll talk about them. Uh, We'll honor them. We'll learn from it. And uh, because you know what you know what they say, if if we don't, uh, it's really easy to repeat. History. If you don't pay attention to it, and I love going back. There's something, something about looking into the uh, the near past that always just kind of inspires me. And hopefully, we can learn lessons from it. I like this a different way to do it. So anyway, it ran one, two, three, five days from July twelfth, nineteen ninety five to July sixteenth. And Erin says she was fourteen and doesn't remember much. I was fourteen on the other side of the country and didn't remember much, but. Anyway, so July 12th had a daytime high of 98. The 13th was 106. The 14th was 102. 99 on the 15th and 94 on the 16th. But the overnight lows, (laughs) Chris Dixon just said he married the wrong one in 95. But all that matters is that you married the right one eventually. So with the Humidex, it hit a high of 124 degrees. Now, I knew this is this is where we're going to get this, and I wanted to get this out of the way right now, because like Jeremy said, sounds like an average August in Texas. Absolutely. It would be if you transferred this weather to Texas, and this was the type of thing you're going to see really quick that they were unprepared for, and that it was the Midwest mindset that hey we get shitty weather we're tough we'll tough it out and we'll get through it the problem was is that this weather system just banked and stayed there for a lot longer than normal 106 was the or is the highest temperature that ever hit the city of Chicago which seems crazy and one step closer says we have AC everywhere we're going to get into that too because that is a huge issue with what what went on and why things became such a tragedy but as I said, the highest day was 106 with a humid X of 124 with an overnight low of 81 degrees. And July 14th, the overnight low was 84. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. So here it was. This was the hottest temperature ever recorded in the city of Chicago. It was this large, hot, humid mass of thick clouds and just hot friggin' temperatures. And it just parked itself for five days over the city of Chicago. Now, here's the thing. Normally, when you get hot and humid like that, I I saw this quote putting the show together today. Normally, what do you get? Thunderstorms. And this guy called thunderstorms nature's version of air conditioning. And he's right, except that for whatever reason, thunderstorms never came in and never broke through the weather system for those full five days. And some people actually extend it to seven the day before and the day after. But the temperatures weren't nearly as bad as this. (laughs) <laughs> and uh Gingerbread said uh it was probably hotter in Chicago when the cow kicked over the lantern. Yes, they were talking about that, putting this episode together, too, and a, a ton of old stuff. Good evening, Byron. Good to see you. So here's the other thing. You get this hot, humid mass sitting above the city. What did it do? Well, it's humid, but it trapped a ton of humidity close to the ground and the pollutants, because everybody remembers the mid-90s and the ozone scare and how bad, honestly, cities the air pollution was significantly worse in the 90s and 80s. And so it trapped all these pollutants in this hot, humid air close to the ground, making it horrible for not just people with heart trouble, but of course, also with people with breathing issues as well. So let's go over some of the numbers. I always like to break those down first to kind of put things into perspective. Now, going through COVID a few years ago, we know that it doesn't take a whole lot of excess hospitalizations to overrun a healthcare system. And in this case, over that four day, five day period, they had 11% more hospitalizations than were planned for. doesn't sound like that much, but you'll see. 35% of those were people 65 and older and 59% of them were people treated for dehydration, heat stroke and exhaustion. So typical kind of stuff in a heat wave. Now, They really don't know how many people actually died from this heat wave. That's what's kind of sad, but either way, there was somewhere between 400 and 750 people who died adjacent to or involved with the heat. It may not have been the, the only cause, but it was an an exacerbating factor, but probably the saddest fact that came out of all of this when I was researching this episode was there was 41 people. So 10 to 5 to 10%, 41 people who are buried in a mass grave whose, whose remains were never claimed by their family. 41 people died and people are like, "Eh, I don't, uh, they couldn't get a hold of the next of kin. Nobody had. So this is a sign. And we're going to talk about this a bit too, is that this was a disaster that disproportionately affected uh, impoverished people. And we're going to deal with that. But it, it's just a fact of this exact disaster. It was lots of people who died were old, very old and people who had nobody to look out for them, to claim the remains, to give them a proper burial, anything like that. They, so it got so bad at the time they ended up bringing in seven refrigerated trucks because all 222 bays at the morgue were full. At the height of it, 49,000 households had no electricity. So you've got this entire system that's getting overwhelmed with, you know, people trying to draw tons of power with air conditioning. And what's it do? Starts blowing transformers all across the city. So around 50,000 people without power on top of all of that. So I got a bunch of kind of little snippets from different places throughout the, the day putting this episode together. But this guy was the uh, the chief weatherman for WGN TV. And he said, we saw the heat coming for a long time ahead of time. But you were almost ridiculed when you'd say, hey, it's really going to get hot. He said, I can remember people saying, oh, we'll get over it. It's summer in Chicago. It gets hot there. And I'd think that's not the whole story. There's reason to be concerned from a safety standpoint. So this was you know, the equivalent of somebody who had lived through a ton of hurricanes in Louisiana. And, you know, they'd always shifted at the last minute. And people said, no, I'm just going to sit here and drink my beer and weather the storm because we're Louisiana, right? Well, this was worse than that. They seen it coming. The problem was they tried to warn people, hey, this is going to get really, really hairy for a few days. And everybody's like, nah, we get heat here in Chicago. And, uh, (laughs) Gingerbread says disasters always affect the poor. So do wars. Maybe the same thing. There's no, I think, yeah, there's probably two sides to the same coin there. And uh, here's the thing. So you get this coming in and all of a sudden it puts a big draw on the power system. Power starts failing everywhere. Something I didn't think of. They said what people forget about power outages is that elevators don't work, right? In high rise buildings. But water pumps don't work. So you're not going to get your water above the fifth or sixth floor pretty easily. So you have no air conditioning. You might not be able to flush your toilets. You can't get water from the sink. And at the same time, the city sets a record for the most energy used at all time. It was taxing the grid and it was making a really bad situation for people who were, um, you know, who would be heat affected way, way worse. Now on the... (laughs) Jeremy says, another reason to not live downtown. And we're, we're going to talk about this a lot. You know, we've heard many people say, get out of the cities. And this is yet another reason. And this is almost 30 years ago, and it hasn't gotten any better. Nate says, I remember the heat wave. News was going nuts about it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, many Chicagoans, I think I got that right. They went to the beaches, but others took to the fire hydrants. <laughs> More than 3,000 fire hydrants across Chicago were opened, causing some neighborhoods, what do you think? To lose water pressure on top of losing electricity. And when emergency crews showed up to seal up the hydrants, guess what happened? People threw bricks away. People threw bricks at them and ran the firemen or the emergency crews away. So you've got people who are hot, they're opening up fire hydrants, they're causing more people to lose their water. And then when they try to fix it, they get bricks thrown at them. Now, to boot on top of all that, residents didn't want to go to cooling centers. They didn't want to open their windows. They didn't want to sleep on their decks. Why? Well, in high crime areas, people were afraid to leave their homes for the air conditioned cooling centers designated by the city, fearful that robbers would get them while they were out or worse than that, loot their homes while they were away. So instead of going to somewhere that could save them or make them a little bit, you know, cooler, they stay at home because they're scared of the um, degenerates that live there he said the hotter it was the more people there were on the streets get this right so it's hot what do the criminals do they hit the streets kind of like the LA riots we talked about that before the more the gang trouble law abiding citizens they weigh the risks and they say um, no i think i'm going to stay home better to stay inside many people reasoned and to discourage and to discourage burglars i think i'll keep my windows closed as well ooh that to me Anyway, I get it. I understand why. But again, the people who were going to be most worstly affected by this, they were, they sit at home and they created the hot box. They said some houses never got below 95 overnight or apartments. And we'll talk about that too. And of course, cities are heat islands, their pavement and steel attract the heat. They trap it in and, uh, there was a quote here by this guy named Klingenberg. He said, not only is the city hotter than outlying areas during the day, it stays hotter at night. It doesn't cool off. And we've heard about this and we hear about it a lot. But again, it's the urban island, the urban heat battery, whatever you want to call it, it absorbs. You get this big thermal mass, it absorbs all this heat. And then it slowly, it's like if you've ever in the summertime on a really hot day, walked past a south-facing brick wall long after dark, and you still have that heat radiating off, it's that kind of thermal battery. And that's what makes living in a city, in a heat wave, a really shitty situation. And then, on top of this, and you guys will see a lot, whenever we do these deep dives into these situations, it's always a cascading spiral effect it's like Jenga you know you you knock one one's okay you knock another one out and all of a sudden it all just falls down and this is what happened so on top of you know being the hottest temperatures not being prepared well they didn't have an emergency plan emergency plan or the response was just totally out to lunch the mayor at the time Rich Daly he said uh, he tended to laugh off the concerns because extreme weather is so common in Chicago He said, they, when asked how they were doing on the Friday of the event, so this was a couple of days in, he's like, we're holding our own. People have to deal with this kind of stuff. We'll get over it. In other words, he didn't really think that it was that big of a deal. And then the fire officials, they didn't call in any additional ambulances or paramedics, even though the wait times for people needing help were in the hours. There was actually 10 hospitals that went into bypass mode, which meant if you were coming there as an ambulance, you couldn't go no matter how bad the situation was. You just had to keep on traveling. It was crazy. Why did outdoor says I camped when it was 75 overnight and that was miserable. Can't imagine 95. No, I couldn't either. And Nate says it's warmer in the winter and colder in the summer. It's about a five to 10 degree difference uh, out here in rural. Absolutely. Yes. You live. Yeah. And it's not getting any better. So officials had no plan, which do we really expect anything less from the government or anything more? (laughs) And then on top of this, it was causing infrastructure issues as well. The heat made some of the city's roads buckle. The train tracks warped and they had to water down bridges so that they could continue uh, to work so that they wouldn't lock into place. They had some moving bridges and that sort of thing. It was that bad. So people trying to get out of the city couldn't because the infrastructure was crumbling down just a little bit. Horrible. And then on top of that, like I said, the entire healthcare system was melting down. I don't mean that in a funny way whatsoever. It just was. So right here it said, even as the heat wave entered a suffocating second day with a high of 102 at Midway, city hall officials... Seemed to be largely unaware of the disaster unfolding around them. To further complicate matters, about ten to capacity emergencies, like I said, went on bypass mode, meaning they weren't accepting any new patients. And get this, on top of that, <laughs> I just keep building, right? On top of that, outside of the ICU and any most of the hospitals, they had no air conditioning. So you had, uh, they said, there was it was so hot that they had four people go into cardiac arrest, and a bunch of people suffer heat stroke sitting in the waiting area of the hospitals. It got that bad. Eventually, once they started seeing people uh, drop, they brought in some portable air conditioners, but long after the situation was into an horrible situation. So what were were some of the kind of high-risk things that people were dealing with? What Okay, so I went, I took a deep dive today, and there was an entire governmental health board report done on this a couple of years later, and it looked at what put people the most at risk for suffering a bad situation during a heat wave like this, and this was based strictly on the Chicago ones, but get this, guys, one of the number one high-risk cases or highest-risk things was living alone. They said, if you lived alone, you had a 200% chance, a 200% higher chance of dying than if you lived um, with someone else. Literally community was the answer. And that's kind of sad. You know, you think about, and I, I read some of those quotes, like when we started there, guys, some of these people died absolutely alone with no help, with nobody to check on them, with nowhere to go and nobody to help them. And I would say that um, maybe a lesson from that would be, I, I, I mean, there, there's no simple answer if you're 65, 70 years old and you don't have anybody. that, That's tough. But do your best to build a community around you. Do your best to check in with people. Do your best to check on the vulnerable people because, you know, we love the the lone wolf mindset in prepping and we love to say, okay, we'll look after us and our family. But I think part of it is to at least try to look after a neighbor or a family member or those who, you know, we always talk about the idea of anarchy and who would look after the roads and who would look after this and who would look after that, who would look after the homeless. Well, that's on us at that point. We have to help people who need their help. And so living alone would double your risk of death in a heat wave like that. That's insane. Now, this one's um, quite a bit more understanding, you probably figured this out, but living on the higher floors of buildings. 52% of the people who died lived on the top floor of a building. So, you, you know, you've got people who are trying to go down the stairs. Again, this was like the big power outage that we talked about a couple of episodes back. But more than that, heat rises, and you're just going to get more and more heat up there. But over half the people who passed away in the Chicago heat wave lived on the top floor of a building another high risk category, like we talked about before was living in poverty. And that leads into the next one, living without air conditioning. And I would say, especially if you live, I mean, even here in Alberta, you can get by without air conditioning, but there's times that it gets, we had, what was it? 108 or 109 degrees Fahrenheit. And it hit 40, it was 40, 41 degrees Celsius, four or five days in a row. That's not healthy. So Having a way to cool yourself off, having a air conditioning and a way to power it during a power outage, I think is a huge prep. Now, again, living in poverty, that could be a real difficult issue. So maybe try finding yourself, if you have to live in an apartment building, find one that has air conditioning built in. Now, if the power goes out, that's a whole nother story. And I would probably look ahead if I lived in a city and I don't want to live in a city, but if I did, I would want to know the city's plans. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, the plans of mice and men can't go all haywire once in a while because they're going to. But I'd want to know, just like when Becky and the kids went to England last year, what was this year? Sorry. I looked ahead and I found where was the Canadian embassy in France and England? In case you ever got shit went sideways, where would you go? This would be the same thing living in the city. I would want to know where I could go if I needed to cool off. Just simple as that. Uh, You know, it's the same as in my town. If the power goes out and we have no way to heat the house, where do we go for a warming center? That kind of thing. Jeremy says, look for window AC units that go on sale each fall. Yep. Or buy a couple of cheap ones at a yard sale. We've done that. We used to buy when we didn't have a lot of money, we would go and buy the cheapest used ones we could find for like 25 bucks a piece. And if we bought three and two of them worked for a summer, we were happy with that. That's not a bad idea at all. Aaron says, uh, we didn't have it for most of the childhood. We spent a lot of time in the basement and stores used to be so cold back then. Yes, we're going to talk about that a little bit too. I forgot about the basement, but yeah. And Rachel says, um, I didn't use AC at all this year. Fans and shade the um, the house by trees. Now, here's one thing. We're going to talk about fans afterwards. They didn't make an appreciable difference for people living in these high rises. So no more people died with or without fans. So it wasn't really something that helped or hurt. One Step Closer says, when we get bad heat waves, the city turns libraries and other facilities into cooling stations. And love the government or hate them, you need to know where these places are. So living without air conditioning, I wanna dive into that a little bit more, but that was one of the high risk categories. Another one, and you're gonna know this as well, using special or excessive medications. Typically, people who are using a lot of medication or are on some really special meds tend to be the most precarious health-wise, right? So they ended up being some of the most affected people. So again, we got to look after our health because it's too late to get healthy if you're in the middle of a heat wave, right? Um, We talked about the massive centers of heat-retaining concrete structures. (laughs) Get this massive thermal battery. Another big underlying factor was cardiovascular disease. Tons of people with heart trouble, respiratory problems. Another one we talked about, how that humid air was trapping all of the pollution and everything down, making it even harder to breathe. Plus, then you got 100% humidity, massive heat, and then you're exerting yourself more and you can't cool off. Bad situation. Um, Story I found putting this all together, children riding in school buses became so dehydrated and nauseous that they ended up needing to be hosed down by the fire department. I don't think I'd be sending my, I mean, I guess maybe the schools had air conditioning, so you'd think your kids would be better off, but um, school buses are absolutely miserable. They're like a, they're like a hot box. They just heat right up. They got all those windows. They got no insulation, paper, thin metal, gross. And they said the single highest predictor of death, and this is Kind of sad, but you would know it confinement to bed. So, 16% of all people who passed away in this heat wave were already bedridden, which means their health, where they were, you know, one foot out the door, right? And this was what we dealt with with COVID and a bunch of other things is that, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry guys, when your health has gone that far downhill, a situation like this, if you're not looked after, can go hairy really, really quick. Now, it was said in a few different places where I read. A one-day heat wave is bad, but the deaths start showing up in days two, three, and mostly four. So most people can weather one or two days of really shitty weather, really bad heat. But by the third day, you're starting to see people get really sick. So lower the risk. So we talked about the high risk, what put people into high risk categories. What were people trying to do to make things better for them? And uh, the first one, and this was the single biggest factor in preventing death. An 80% reduction in the risk of death due to heat and cardiovascular disease. One simple thing, air conditioning. If you had air conditioning, you had, not infinite, but you had a massively big increase in your risk, in your lack of risk of passing away in this heat wave. Simple as that. If you lived in a city, and you're worried about heat waves, the single biggest prep you could do to look after yourself other than looking after your health was making sure you had an air conditioner and a way to power it. So what did people do? Well, they went to the beach for starters, which made sense. Hundreds of thousands of people flocking to the beaches. That that would be a way to keep cool. I would do that for sure. They opened fire hydrants like we talked about. Again, in the city, it got pretty bad, but 3,000 of them. Other people went to movie theaters, which I thought was kind of cool, made sense. Why not go watch a movie? Right at that time, it was, I believe it was Batman Forever and Clueless were coming out and people were watching them like crazy, going in and watching multiple movies just so they could stay somewhere and cool down during the heat of the day. There was a university where they had lost all air conditioning in the dormitories and kids were sleeping with soaked blankets. So they would just soak it with cold water, put it over them and go to sleep at night, trying to stay a little bit cool. Tons of people exited the city. People who had the means would leave and go visit family or friends or a hotel or somewhere in the suburbs, somewhere just to cool off. And one of the big things that the Multiple reports I read said that fans did not help at all when it was that humid and that hot, all it was doing was moving around hot air. Now something else they did. Um, yes. Um, Haas says misters on the porch or shaded areas outside, anything like that would help people would go. Uh, they said something else that was a factor in helping people make it through if they didn't have a, um, air conditioning in their apartment, a lot of the apartments, the lobbies were air conditioned. So people were hanging out in the lobbies. They said, if you had access to an air conditioned lobby or a room nearby, that helped. The city of Chicago sent out social workers to visit people at risk and explain the dangers of hot weather. Anybody who had somebody knock on their door and say, hey, there's really bad weather coming. You should be prepared. Are you okay? Just that alone was enough to... Lower the risk of death for people. So, people living by themselves, people who were already unhealthy, people who maybe, well, maybe not bedridden. I don't want to talk about that, but any of those, just by being warned, people made smarter decisions. I like that. And again, like I said, excess deaths don't typically occur till the second, third, or fourth day of a heat wave. And during the summer heat wave in 95 in Chicago, they said anything that facilitated social contact even a membership in a social club, owning a pet, or just being in a walking club was associated with a decreased risk in death. This is probably the single biggest illustration I've ever seen of how community can help you. It could literally mean the difference between life and death. And I'm not bragging things up or act, you know, trying to blow anything out of proportion, but literally two different studies said that by having community, by having connections, by having people who look out for you, you had a lower chance of dying, all other things being equal in a heat wave. That kind of blew my mind, guys. I like that a lot. So most of the victims, let's let's share a few of the stories, and we'll see. Um, most of them are they're kind of on the sad side, guys, and there wasn't a lot of positive stories that came out of this. But again, I like to dig into them, and we'll go back and we'll see, uh, you know, I guess what we could learn from it, but most of the victims, of course, in almost all adverse weather situations, sixty-five percent of them were over the age of sixty. It was now um, this one study; they attributed five hundred and fourteen deaths to the heat wave. Three hundred and seventy-two of them were sixty-five and older. So again, these type of things disproportionately hurt the elderly. But we're all going to be elderly someday. So these are the type of things we need to know. Look after our elderly now so our youth will look after us when we get older, right? They found the name of a lady. So this lady, her name was Mildred Stojovich, and they found her daughter, age 70. They sent her a certified letter to let her know that her mother had passed away and that they wondered if she'd like to have her, uh, you know, help bury her or have a service for her. And she wrote on the letter, returned to sender, and sent it back. Leonard Heimner, 66, his daughter, was located in an affluent suburb. She said on the telephone she'd like to take a look at the furnished room where her father had spent his last days, but she never showed up and never had anything to do with him. Thomas Randall, 64, left a messy apartment behind But no clues as to any family, any friends, And there was only a rumor that he may or may not have had a bank account. So that one, I included that one here simply because I thought, you know what, if that's not, even if you live on your own, even if there's nobody else in the world to take care of you, it sure would be nice to leave something behind like a note or a will or something like, Hey, you know, I'd love, you know, amazing grace on bagpipes or whatever, just, you know, something so that people know. But I guess when you don't have anybody, maybe you don't think about that. Uh, this guy named Paul Ozenwicks, um, he left enough money for a funeral on purpose in his bank account. His relatives were contacted. They withdrew the money, spent it, and never gave him a funeral. Mabel Swanson, 87, she had an unused air conditioner in a box in her basement. For decades, she'd made it through hot spells, just sitting in her kitchen with fans in the window. But this Thursday, when the temperature reached a breathtaking 106 degrees, Swanson set her table for dinner and then collapsed on the floor. A neighbor found her body there 24 hours later. She had an air conditioner, unused, brand new, in her basement. That kind of reminds me of when people say, hey, should I open my generator and test it? Yeah, you should. But more than that, imagine having your air conditioner and knowing it would cool you down, but figuring, now nah, it's okay. And I think we probably all do. As we get older, we still think we're as young as we ever were and we'll be able to handle it. And then all of a sudden, no, you probably can't. So don't leave your air conditioner boxed up in the basement, guys. Diana Cottrell, uh, she should have been one of the lucky ones to escape the heat in her air-conditioned apartment at the Northside Harbor Village Retirement Community. There was about 250 residents there. Taped on the front door were bright yellow flyers reading a message for older adults. It said, hot weather spells danger. But despite that, Diana, a tiny 77-year-old, decided not to pay attention to the warnings and around 11 in the morning decided to walk in 105 degree heat to her dentist appointment six blocks away. She never made it. An hour after she set out, Cottrell was found unconscious in the grass about four blocks away from her home. She was rushed to a nearby hospital and she had died by then from heat stroke. Again, guys, I mean, we should know this, but if you have a way to stay cool, don't, how many times in these disaster episodes have we heard stories of somebody just doing their you know, I think back to the, the LA riots and the lady who was taking food to a friend and got hit at the lights or a guy who was going out to check on his business and was killed. All these things, just, just stay the hell home. <laughs> Again, we talk about it, but uh, almost always the answer in these disasters is stay the hell home unless you have to bug out. But other than that, stay the hell home. Stay the hell home. There was a construction worker They didn't give a name. He'd been working on a hot tar roof during the hottest day of the heat wave. They brought him into the hospital, and he had a temperature of 111 degrees. He was in a coma when they brought him into the hospital. 111 degrees. The crazy thing was he survived. They didn't think he would. It was one of the highest temperatures they'd ever seen at the hospital, and he ended up, uh, they, they looked after him, and he, he came out relatively unscathed. This guy named Mark, he was an emergency room physician at Chicago at one of the Chicago hospitals. He said, I remember talking to friends at other hospitals who said, man, we're in the middle of a crisis mode. It was across the city, our waiting room, the emergency departments were packed. We're going from one emergency to another, all bunched together like a pit crew. The most severe cases were the patients with asthma who were so far into an attack, we couldn't resuscitate them. I remember a lady in her early thirties. The paramedics had already put a tube in her lungs We tried to turn her around, but there was nothing that could be done. Somebody who was in their early 30s, again, right? Jerome Davis, 63, said, uh, we couldn't run any fans, and it wasn't any cooler in the street or anywhere else for that matter, because no one had any electricity. Jerome Davis, 63, who lives with his wife in an apartment near Wrigley Field. He was without power for much of Saturday and Sunday night. My wife who has asthma and a really bad heart, got real sick, and finally, in the middle of the night, we got into a cab and went to my daughter's house in the suburbs. We stayed at home that long, because we kept calling, and they kept telling us we'd have power in a few hours, but it never came back, and I was worried something serious would happen. How long would you have to sit there in the heat to think, I wonder if we should go? I wonder if we should go? Again, I just finished saying stay the hell home, but in this instance, get the hell out. Don't sit there. Don't, Don't think, well, it might get better. It might get better. Hey, if you have to drive out to your daughter's house, spend a couple of minutes, you know, you get out there and all of a sudden, hey, the power's back on. Well, what do you get? You get to see your kids. You get a good laugh at the situation and you think, well, that's okay. But I mean, his poor wife could have ended up dying from that, right? And I did not know this, but Gingerbread Farm says, if you've ever had a heat injury, you're automatically more susceptible to another heat injury. Did not know that. All right. Um, This one here, I didn't have the person's name, but it said, when the 95 heat wave hit, I was 12 years old. My parents couldn't afford an air conditioner. We watched the temperature climb up to 115 degrees Fahrenheit. Our house felt like an oven turned up as high as possible. My parents got creative and movie theaters became our cooling center. I remember seeing Batman Forever and Clueless three times that summer because they would drop me and my siblings off at the theater for the entire day for thirteen bucks. That's pretty smart. So you had all these people, guys, who were going into that were in this this huge heat island that was just it, the problem was it was inescapable, and I I mean we've heard it many, many times, get out of the city, get out of the city, get out of the city. And if this wasn't a reason, and no matter your thoughts or anything on the weather situation that we live in today, um, I don't think it's gotten any better. And if anything, the cities have gotten worse with this. We sit back. I, I'm just, I'm thankful. I don't, you couldn't, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to move into a city. I, I just wouldn't. There was, there's no reason, no thought behind it. No, I, you just couldn't convince me to. I, there's so many reasons to, to live in the suburbs or to live in the country and the least of which is people, you know, but, um, and I wanted this, um, right here, guys, I wanted to kind of finish up with this quote. I, um, we ended up, was a little shorter episode tonight. There wasn't as much on this topic, but I wanted to share it because, there were so many things. We just, they, they talk many, many times. I heard these people, experts say, we don't talk about heat waves. But they also said that heat waves were the number one killer of all natural disasters in North America almost every single year. And it's something we just don't think about. So this one here, this said, the summer of nineteen nine. sorry, the summer of 1955 had been as hot or depending on who you talk to, maybe a little bit hotter than 1995. Here's one of the big differences. But those earlier Chicagoans relied on a coping strategy that seems remarkable today. Unafraid of violent crime, they shifted their lives outdoors. Thousands of families picked up their bedding and their beverages, and they camped outdoors in parks, on beaches, or they simply slept on their front porch. Sociologist Eric Kleinberg wrote in Heatwave, his definitive account of Chicago's 1995 disaster. Fewer than 10% of Chicago homes at the time had air conditioning, but the simple strategy of sleeping outside helped to keep the mortality rate during the 1955 crisis down to roughly half the level of the 95 disaster. So Chica- Chicago, Chicago, Chicagans, uh, I'll try, I'll get it wrong every single time. But here's what we look at. If that's not a reason to get the hell out of a city, and I know I'm preaching to the choir. I don't know if anybody in here lives in the city. If you do, I'm not going to judge you for it. But in 1955, you had all these people dealing with roughly the same. Oh, yeah, you know, Nate. Wow. But you know what? That is actually a really astute observation that I probably should have mentioned. Nate says, as much as I hate to say it, people in the 50s were smaller than people in the 90s. No, dude, you were 100% correct on that. And that would create a, uh, that would play a big part into that. Absolutely. I, you, I mean, that's that's an uncontrovertible fact. But, but yeah, you're right. People were healthier in the 50s overall. And they were used to being outdoors. Um, they, You're right. People would have been smaller, skinnier, smaller, all around. Mainly, you look at a city, even in 95, that had way more air conditioning available. And yet you still saw double the mortality rate. And that tells you that uh, that's a society issue too, isn't it? That's what I think. You look at that and you're like, yeah, you had all these people who didn't want to go outdoors. They didn't want to sleep on their decks. They didn't even want to leave their damn windows open because they were scared they were going to get... Raped, looted, or plundered, or all three, and then murdered. You know, how awful. Oh, One Step Closer says, help to know your neighbors. I grew up in apartments, and we knew everyone around us. Absolutely. Have a plan. Build a plan. Look at these, you know. Again, I would never want to live on the top of a high-rise apartment. But if you did, have a plan for getting out. Have a plan for cooling off. Have a plan for getting the hell out of the city if you have to something anything to just make sure you can i'm here's the thing the solar battery generator systems are good enough to run an air conditioner at least during the hottest time you may not be able to run run them Twenty first be enough because you're not going to be running i mean i guess you could but it, it would be pretty bad at the 1995 chicago heatwave got side but it's okay <laughs> i love the thought this this one would be good enough I've got, um, we got Val coming on Sunday evening for the interview show. She's going to come on. I'm pretty excited about this one. She's going to come on and, oh yeah, I see that. Sorry guys. All of a sudden we just uh, lost a little bit of signal. We've been having, I I had them brought in to fix this and it's gotten worse. There we go. I think we're okay for a minute. Anyway, so Sunday evening we got uh, Val coming on. Uh, She's been on before. She talked about hiking the Appalachian Trail. This time she's going to talk about traveling solo as a female. Some of the things we, uh, Becky and I had supper with her and a few other nice people, the last day of self-reliance festival. And, uh, she got talking about some of the different precautions she would make as she would travel around just her and Zena, her dog. And so I thought it would make for a great episode to bring her on. So, um, I don't know what tomorrow night's episode is going to bring yet. It all depends on if Mrs. Cook is, uh, up and feeling okay to come on. And if not, it'll be a solo Tim show tomorrow night. But either way, it's going to be great. Gonna take a trip tomorrow to the city. Uh, well, uh, take some material up to the the new daycare. And yeah, we're just gonna keep building the life that we want to live. And I hope you guys do the same thing. And I appreciate you guys coming on and using me as a soundtrack to getting shit done because uh I absolutely appreciate my crazy delinquents from the workshop. So, with that, guys, we're gonna sign out a little early this evening. I appreciate you, and as Always stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.